Welcome to Hydrate Level 4. I'm your host, Peter. Reading today is a uh, previous guest, Mike, from the War Machine vs. War Horse podcast. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing good. Thank you for having me back. I've been a big fan of your show for a while now, and you've had me on a few times, so I'm very, very thankful for that. Well, thank you for having me come back on the show uh, a few times as well. And uh, just to... um, just to throw it out a little bit, we had some, uh, or I had some technical difficulties this morning, uh, you know, with the system shutting down. So we're having to start this a little bit later than we uh, had hoped. So we're going to try to, um, you know, wrap this up before uh, you need to get to where you're going. So uh, again, thanks for coming on. Uh, today we're talking about the uh, 2014 Nightcrawler that was written, directed by Dan Gilroy. Uh, this is a crime thriller. Uh, the movie stars Jake Gyllenhaal as Lou Bloom, who is a driven young man desperate for work who discovers the high-speed world of L.A. Um, finding or L.A. crime. I'm sorry, uh, finding a group of freelance camera crews who films crashes, fires, murder, and other mayhem. Lou muscles into the cutthroat, dangerous realm of night crawling, where each police siren wail equals a possible windfall and victims are converted into dollars. Aided by Rene Russo, who plays Nina, a veteran of the blood sport that is local TV news, Lou blurs the line between observer and participant to become the star of his own story. Um, So we're doing this a little bit differently than we usually do. For those that are joining the show for the first time, I podcast with my 14-year-old son. Uh, and usually we do movies that I grew up watching, but today uh, Mike is joining me to um, to recommend this movie. Uh, this has been out for a while now. Um, it is on home release. Uh, I think it just came out maybe a couple weeks ago, Michael? Does that sound yeah, right? I think it's a, a new release as far as uh, video and uh, iTunes and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I had watched this in the theater uh, with hopes to... You know, to talk to somebody about it. Unfortunately, the the opportunity never came. Uh, funny enough, after the movie, I saw a couple uh, who I thought were just regular teenagers um, discussing the movie and talking about what they were going to write about. And I kind of approached them, and they, uh, I guess, they uh, apparently attend a college, and they were going to write a review for the school paper. And I kind of told them about the podcast, and they asked if they can kind of talk to me about it and get my thoughts on paper. And I go, only if you can reach favor and have me interview you. So at the end of this, uh, I'm going to play that interview. So some of the things that you and I discuss uh, may be repeated, but it, it's been a few months. And I feel bad because I told them to look out for it in a few days. <laughs> and here, uh, th- th- that was, what, November, I want to say, early November? <laughs> so they're probably wondering, like, where the hell is this guy? Peter, that's a great way to get people to subscribe. Just keep waiting. Just keep waiting. (laughs) What's funny, he does have Twitter, and I follow him, and he followed back, you know, at that time. So I wonder if he's seeing all these posts, just waiting for uh, the episode to release. Um, So, yeah, uh, it's no secret. This movie I I highly recommend. Um, The the short uh, recommend uh, way of me, uh, the way I've been recommending it to people is I've been comparing it to Breaking Bad. Um, whereas, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing, um, it's, it's, it's a very dark movie. Okay. It's, there's nothing happy about it. Um, except for it's kind of a happy ending for, uh, suppose, but Breaking Bad is, is what I feel is a, you know, cinematic masterpiece. Uh, everything in what I find great about this is, um, in Nightcrawler, Bloom, he talks about, framing you know and uh framing things just right you get the viewers to uh kind of 
kind of watch more, but also kind of uh, watch a little bit longer too um, to make something a little bit more engaging. And I find that, like Breaking Bad, everything in Nightcrawler, everything in the scene is shown for purpose, uh, the framing of every scene. And, it, you know, it's just very intense. You don't know what's going to happen. And I find that each character just feels very real, that this isn't just written for the screen. I, I felt like these were real characters, real people, you know, that, that these weren't actors acting as characters. I don't know. Um, but that that's why I would recommend watch is if you are a big and bad fan, just because everything beautifully, uh, masterfully, you know, for this, isn't this his uh, directorial debut? It is. Yeah. So I was very impressed with the way it was, um, you know, directed and written. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Vince Gilligan and his crew behind, uh, the, this, um, this, this movie, but also this movie made me wish that it would turn into a, um, a TV series of some sort, you know, like I, I wish that this movie Nightcrawler was an actual, actually a two hour pilot for a, for a TV series. You know, I want to see more of Lou Bloom. I want to know what happens to him afterwards. Um, I want to follow this man on his adventures which is weird because they're they're really bad stuff that he kind of gets into uh michael why would you recommend this movie it's it's a modernized version of network uh, from the 70s which uh, as you were you were saying that these characters feel very real and in network at least when that film released the characters felt very broad and cartoonish like oh that would never happen and then as you see now, that's this is how network television is. It is blood and guts, and they're just chasing eyeballs with basically filth. I mean, it's not productive news. It's it's scare tactics, and you get a, a great scene with uh, Rene Russo's character as the I guess the the station director of some sort. I can't remember her exact title, but she is as the broadcast is going on, and Lou has brought in this footage of this home invasion. She is directing the anchors to push those fear buttons as hard as they can. She wants them to remind the viewers that these uh, killers are still on the loose, that this basically could happen to you, and that you need to tune in because we are the ones who will tell you when to no longer be scared. But as you see with Nightcrawler, there's always going to be something to be scared about. There's always some sort of crime that new, uh, that Lou will find and the way they package it is to, I mean, it's it's just on Front Street. It's just racist. I mean, that's their their business is sort of racism because they want, as I think Lou and uh, his boss says, they want like sort of suburban white people crime. They don't really want crime where the viewers can say, "Oh, that would never happen to me." They want people to think this can happen to me, and it will happen to me every day. So when Network came out, it was more broadly comedic. And I don't think this film is, like, very funny at all. There, There's a couple of instances. I was actually looking for the humor just for this podcast mm -hmm. because I tweeted out last night that uh, I think this is, next to John Wick, the most entertaining movie of 2014 for me. Like, And so... I was, you know, it was a pleasure for this podcast to watch it for a third time, and I'm like, man, like this is one I could go back to again and again, but just because, as you said, it's just so perfectly composed. It's, a, it's, I think it's just 
at two hours, but mm-hmm. it feels like a short ride. It feels like a 90-minute movie. But I was looking for humor, and the only thing I could see, really, is there's a montage of Lou and this assistant that he hires, uh, an, an intern, as he calls him, just a really underpaid individual who's doing very dangerous things with Lou. And it shows them, <coughs> excuse me, it shows them eating. I think he's eating like a taco or something. And it's like he takes the food up to his mouth and then Lou says something. Now, this is all set to music, so we don't know what he said. But it's like Lou is continuing to lecture this young man even on how to eat properly, like on the job, because his face just falls. So <laughs> I would I would recommend it. The, the comparison to Breaking Bad is it's apt because it's very, very flawed, uh, morally questionable character that we're following whose business really encourages him to throw out all morals he has to succeed. Like with Breaking Bad, the more successful he is, is usually the worst things that he he does in the show. Uh, I would say that Nightcrawler is a little more cynical than Breaking Bad in the sense that, at the very least, with Walter White, he's put in danger a lot. And it seems like with Lou here, uh, he just gets more and more successful. Mm-hmm. So... I think that if you are into shows like Breaking Bad or The Shield, like Vic Mackey, where you have very flawed characters as your lead and not very likable people, you'll be fine with it. But it was most striking to me that in the uh, 40 years since Network that this is not played for laughs like Network was. It seemed like back then, as long as they could make you laugh about it and consider it satire, you could feel better about what you were seeing. Whereas here, they're really not trying to make you feel better about it. They're trying to make you question, what do I watch on the local news and why do I watch that stuff? So, yeah, I think, I think it's a great movie. Yeah, so, you know, just just from that, I for, for me, I mean, it, I, I think it's a five-star movie, you know, five out of five for me. I, I think it's, it's damn near perfect. Um, I was on your... Um, uh, American Sniper uh, po- uh, episode, mm-hmm. and I, I had mentioned, you know, that I, I felt that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was snubbed, uh, you know, for for this um, for this role of his, and I felt that um, uh, Bradley Cooper, that w- though he was nominated, if he had not been nominated, I wouldn't have felt that he was a snub at all. You know, not to take anything from Bradley Cooper, I think he did a fine job. I just think Jake Gyllenhaal did a, a more outstanding job because not only did he have to have these, you know, expressions on his face to convey the way, you know, what he's feeling and such, but he's got, I don't know, three or four different monologues in this movie where he just nails it. Uh, and, you know, if, if it comes up in discussion, I'm going to try to find those monologues and insert it into the podcast, but it's just, it's some really good stuff. Um, so that, that's one area that we actually disagreed on, I think, in, that episode because I was a huge Bradley Cooper fan and uh, his, his role in American Sniper was my favorite uh, male performance of last year. I, I think and I don't know if that's beard. my Southern, <laughs> the beard, maybe the Southern accent. I don't know. It's like to me, when I watched American Sniper, I could relate <clears throat> more to my life. Not that I've served in the military, but the type of people that I grew up with, it's like, I felt like he nailed that sort of persona. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, I've met, met people who have those political leanings who sort of carry themselves that way. And the fact that it was Bradley Cooper, who's, I mean, he's a great actor, but, you know, he's popular for The Hangover. Uh-huh. And in, like, the A-Team, he's sort of a goofy action hero. I was, I guess I was a little more surprised, and that's not to take away from Jake Gyllenhaal, but um, he's had such great performances before. In that episode, we talked about Jarhead and uh, Donnie Darko. 
that um, I guess I'm just not surprised when he does something really interesting because I feel like that's been his career since he was a young actor is he takes these kind of weird, strange parts. But I totally agree with you that he he got snubbed entirely. For him not to be a top five, not to be a nominee, yeah. uh, is is pretty ridiculous. And I, I don't know if maybe just the film was just too dark for the Academy. I don't know. It's I think it only got a screenplay nomination. But uh, I would say that uh, I think it was on on our podcast with me and uh, Chris Maynard, my co-host, we were talking about Nightcrawler and we had such respect for him as a performer that you could actually probably have another version of this film. Cause I think Hall was a producer on this where he plays the Rene Russo part and it wouldn't have been that off putting to see him in that role as sort of the, uh, beaten down, uh, frantic to kind of keep his job uh, on edge producer, and I think he would have he would have given a great performance there. It would have been very different. And me and Maynard were talking about you would have had to cast a female uh, in the Lou Bloom role, which that then we just started spitballing who that would be. But I think I have such respect for Jake Gyllenhaal that I think that he really can play any type of part. But this one, this one is so juicy. I, I know when this screenplay probably came to him, he was like, I've got to play this role. Because if you just, I mean, like said, some of those monologues that he has, I think any actor would kill uh, to be able to deliver those lines. Oh, yeah. I mean, and just to kind of, uh, again, compare it to Breaking Bad, I mean, um, I like the word juicy. I might have to use that a little bit more often in my episodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, but Michael Cranston, I, I mean, what do you think he thought when when he got the script for Breaking Bad? It's like, wow, you know, some of the things he gets to say and do, and, um, you know, uh, yeah. I, I, I think I, I think he was just glad he was not on a uh, family sitcom anymore. Yeah, like he was. <laughs> it could be, you know, he you know he's at the uh, the audition and he says, "I'm the one who knocks." Um, uh, but okay, so at this point, uh, I'm going to go ahead and play some music. Uh, give you the uh, the listener a chance to pause it. Have you not seen this movie? And hopefully. Uh, we said enough to to uh, recommend this movie. Um, I I don't give fives often, and and if you listen to the my show, that I, I am pretty generous with with star ratings. I give movies you know four four and a half stars when they're probably like three um, to you know a regular listener. But uh, yeah, hope this will give you the chance to pause it and um, you know go check out the movie before we get into spoilers. So now's your chance to pause. Uh, and check out the movie. Okay, and if you've listened this far, uh, you, hopefully you've seen the movie because we will get into some of our favorite scenes. Um, uh, now, the introduction of Bloom, where you know he's um, stealing, you know, uh, pieces of, of fence from I'm not sure exactly where uh, to sell it. How do you think he did when he was trying to um, sell himself to this guy who's he's selling the parts to, uh, you know, and trying to get a job? Well, it's something we're going to see later in the movie. Um, he definitely has the gift of gab. And the difference here is the the person he's trying to sell himself to 
knows that he really doesn't have anywhere else to go. And like he do, he has no leverage, which is you'll see later when he gets into the night crawling business, he starts to use those tactics. He starts to wait later. He stops answering phone calls. He kind of comes in late last minute uh, just to gain leverage as far as like you have to basically meet my demand now or I'll walk and take this someplace else. And in the news business, he has options. Here he's doing an illegal act and who can he take it to? Like, you know, he, he someone could just call the cops and say, hey, this guy's trying to sell me stolen property, that sort of thing. That What was weird, though, is that in that scene where he's selling himself, he, as a criminal, sounds very uh, businesslike. He sounds very professional and, like, very generous in his negotiating tactics. He gets much less generous when he gets into a legal business, which is, I think, is fascinating that he becomes a worse person when he actually starts doing something that he can't be arrested for. Um, so, I, I mean, it's it's a great scene, and I probably should correct myself. It's I guess you could read that scene, just that opening uh, negotiation, as kind of funny because the other guy just really is having none of it, like just does not want to hear one more word, and uh, Lou Bloom just keeps talking with his gift of gab. Yeah, and he just lets him. Uh, he just lets Lou go too. You know, he's just <laughs> sitting there at his desk doing paperwork, and he just keeps looking up with the smirk. You know, like y- you can keep talking all you want, but it's still going to be a no. And I think he did really good. Mm-hmm. And so I found that kind of, uh, I found that a little comical. Uh, but, but knowing what he was going to say at the end. Um, but yeah, going back and watch this, I watched this with my brother in last last night, who coincidentally got me into Breaking Bad, and I, you know, I got him to watch this last night. And he he really enjoyed it as well. At the end, he is like, "Yeah, I like that. That's a good one." Um, but uh, yeah, I, I did find. Uh, I don't know. I think I, I must have, you know, let, let out an audible chuckle maybe like four times throughout this movie. Uh, you know, one 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 time it's when. Um, you know, we're, we're jumping ahead here, but it's Bill Paxton's character who plays uh, Joe Loader. It was after his accident, you know, where he looks up and all you see is the camera and it pans down as Lou Bloom's face, you know. And uh, I, I I, forgot what Lou's expression was, and he just had the stone-cold face, you know. But I was expecting a smirk, which I didn't get, and I chuckled mm-hmm. at that because I was like, oh, wow, you know, it, it got me. Because, you, you, I don't know, maybe uh, as a first-time viewer, that's what you would expect. But even a second-time viewer as myself, that's what I expected too, and it didn't happen. So um, it, it's kind of nice because sometimes you're, you as a viewer, you're questioning something, and you're like, why is this? And then they answer it right away. Or they may not to leave you questioning too, which uh, which I think is also effective. Um, now, the the next note I had was that... Um, uh, this is when he learns about night crawling is when he pulls over on the freeway. And I think there's a car accident, right? It was uh, cars on fire or something. Uh, yeah. Now, why, why do you think he initially pulled over? Was it to help or uh, was it because, because we kind of find that he does become very successful in this job as a night crawl, as a night crawler, uh, who's also, you know, I guess they're more called stringers is what it is. Night crawler is just a mm-hmm. term. Um, but I felt that he is very good at watching things, you know, and is kind of, um, and, and, and maybe that's why he pulled over, maybe not necessarily, necessarily to help, but that's how he was able to watch, um, or we meet Bill Paxton as Joe Loader at this point, and he sees him, you know, filming the scene and things like that. So it obviously piques his interest a little bit, but what did you think his reasoning for, the, uh, to pull over, uh, was initially? 
I think he's predatory in nature. I, I don't think he had um, a set reason in his mind as far as like I'm going to stop because I'm going to do you know X, Y, or Z. But mm-hmm. I think he's just drawn to you know stimulus or stimuli where he's like maybe something can work in my favor here. He doesn't even know what it is, but clearly in that you know the first scene he is just driving around just looking you know for manhole covers and uh you know uh copper and fences and stuff and chain link fences he can take down i think um he just sees opportunity before he even knows what the opportunity is and he's you know he's sort of an aimless character at this point he clearly didn't have a job i mean not that the film tells us he's just you know kind of a common thief and as soon as he is made aware of this night crawling industry, he I think the scene after that is he's sitting uh, near a beach and a man with a very expensive bike and like is wearing like his bike gear like parks it and you get the impression that Lou is just sitting there waiting for an opportunity and it's like oh there's an expensive looking bike this is how I'm going to get my camera and this is how I'm going to get into this business. But I was doing a little bit of research for this podcast, and I was watching some interviews with Jake Gyllenhaal and doing some reading on it. And uh, one of the questions I had was, why was it in the script that he had to lose all this weight? Did he have to be mm-hmm. sort of rail thin in his appearance? And apparently that was Gyllenhaal's idea. And because he perceived the character as like a very – like a starving, hungry coyote, like someone who was backed into a corner, um, basically had been kicked around, was not doing well financially – Obviously had no uh, friends. I mean, his social circles, like as we'll see later in the film, he pressures his boss to start a sexual relationship with him, basically because she's the only female that he knows at that point in his life. Yeah. So that was Hall's idea. And apparently they kicked around the idea of uh, titling the film like Coyote instead of Nightcrawler and sort of pushing that angle that that's what he is. He's just a... Uh, a hungry predator who's willing to do anything. So that's, I mean, I don't have any sort of set reading as far as exactly why that character would stop, but that's based on the reading and the interviews. I'm just thinking that he just saw some sort of opportunity and he went to investigate it. That, that was sort of my interpretation. Uh, in the, uh, any of the interviews that you've watched, did it explain what, what he does with the hair tie? You know, when he ties his hair back, because uh, mm-hmm. I think there's two instances of that. Do you have any idea what that's about? I mean, I think it's a nice touch, but it did make me wonder why does he do that? Uh, they didn't touch on it in the uh, interviews, but on rewatch, I was I was also wondering that too. And I I think one is just he's very practical. Um, you'll see later on in the film during the the home invasion sequence when they're sort of fleeing the house and the police are you hear the sirens in the background. Like he he runs, but he he doesn't run too fast in the sense that uh, I think it's twofold there that he's not the, you know, he's not the person that committed the crime. So if the police do arrive, he doesn't look like he's like running like a bat out of hell, like can get himself shot. And two, he doesn't want to damage his equipment. And you'll see when they run to the car with his assistant, he like stops for a second after he opens the car door and like holds the camera out and waits for his like, uh, assistant to grab the camera and basically secure it because he's getting ready to get in the car and drive. So it's like even under like duress and pressure, he's very practical as far as like I can't mess up my camera. Like yeah, I'm gonna, just going to run at a steady pace. So like the hair tie thing, which he does throughout the film, I think one is just I don't want to get 
hair in my face because well, there's a scene with a crash later where he starts, he kind of sets up the shot, like he moves, like the body around and gets blood on himself. Like right. you, you notice that the the hair actually falls into his eyes, into his face. So I think that that was one moment where we saw that he got so excited he forgot. Like okay. Yeah, I need to take care of my hair. So, like, stealing the bike, I think it's practical. And I also think that he slightly, just slightly wants to change his appearance when he's getting ready to do some sort of, like, criminal activity. So, yeah, he's going to go steal this bike, but he wants to just slightly alter himself, which I think if you read, like, kind of old-school, pulpy crime novels, they have just those slight little tricks where they just yeah. alter their appearance slightly. So I, I think it's that. But no, I, I would like to, you know, if you have a listener that wants to send in some email or something, I would love if uh, Hall actually touched on that himself and who came up with that that kind of little idea because I agree with you. It's it's such a nice touch that it, it, I don't know, it makes the character feel more defined. Like it just feels more lived in because he like has these small little things that he does throughout. Right. Oh, well said. Uh, speaking of the bike, uh, do you think he just made – all that stuff up on the fly. I mean, cause he's trying to sell this bike and <laughs> he throws out that there's like 37 gear shifts, which I even thought was excessive. And the, the guy calls him out on it. It's like, you know, no bike has 37 gear shifts. Um, because yeah, I totally first think he, he just made it up. Yeah. Cause he, I was like, Oh wow. He, did he look all this stuff up or did he have, you know, previous knowledge? And then when he got called out on the 37 gear shifts, I go, wow. So which is it then? Because <laughs> I, I was really impressed because uh, the way he was selling it, he was really good at it. Um, but okay, so you think he made it up then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think yeah. he. I mean, he may have had some, you know, prior knowledge, just in the sense that he was like, "Oh, that's a, a good bike to steal," or "I know that's more high end." But on the other hand, maybe anyone could have made that assumption just based on the the gear that guy was wearing. He looked like a serious biker, so uh, yeah, I think he. What I, what I like about that scene, though, is even after he kind of steps into it there uh, and puts his foot in his mouth, uh, he doesn't, like a normal person, he doesn't blush. He doesn't sort of start stuttering. He doesn't get embarrassed. He just moves forward. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. like he didn't even say anything wrong. She's like, oh, oh, well, anyway, doesn't have 37 gears. Did um, did he say he also won, like, the Tour de France with that or two or something? Or, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's, uh, yeah, that's he's, he's not being subtle in that scene. He's he's not like uh, he's not trying to slow play it. He's he's going all right. out. Oh yeah, he, yeah, and you know he uses the money he gets to to get a uh, camcorder and a police scanner. I think mm. it was. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, so uh, I, I do like the montage. I guess it is a montage. It's just basically a trial and error of him answering different police mm. calls he's hearing on the scanner. Uh, the very first one, it appeared to be like some kind of domestic disturbance or something. And then the cop just tells him to get out of there. And I, I just think it's funny because the next one, it's a girl, like, um, blowing into, like, the DUI thing, you know. And that's all he's filming, too, because he doesn't quite understand, like, what's what's really good to film yet. He just thinks anything that uh, mm-hmm. he can answer on the police scanner would, would be something good. Um, but he does get something good. He, um, what, what was the first one that he gets? I forget. Oh, it was a, a carjacking uh, that went wrong. And uh, I think it was a minority... That, wasn't it like an Asian man that, it was that got a, stabbed? Or? A, a, yeah, he was. I think he was the actual owner of uh, a business uh, okay. in that area, I, I believe. Yeah, so he was able to um, film some of that before. Actually, well, he was there with another guy, and that's where he was learning like uh, how to hold the camera a little bit more properly and 
uh, you know, get some good angles up close. And yeah, so he he um, goes to one of the news stations, um, which we find out that it's uh, the lowest rated one. And Rene Russo, who's a uh, the news director, is uh, I think what she's called. Um, I like this scene where where she is showing the I don't know, some other guy. He I, I don't know his title, but uh, his name is Frank in the movie. And they're kind of watching this footage of how, you know, how gruesome it kind of is. And he just looks over at Lou and the look on his face is just like, you, you know, what kind of guy are you to to film something <laughs> like this? You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I just thought that was a good touch by that actor, which I, I don't know his name. Um, so, yeah, we, we see Lou start, starting to learn. Um, you know, he teaches his, himself police codes. And throughout the movie, we start to see little by little, like the little upgrades of each of the equipment he uses. So I, I really like that to kind of show, like, how much more money he is making in order to um, uh, able to afford these items. You know, uh, uh-huh. you know, we, we see it with the camcorder. We see it with the car. Uh, definitely with know, the, the car. Police scanner. Definitely upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> definitely upgrades yeah, the wheels with the car. <laughs> yeah, that and that car's on par with any of the um, the sports car that uh, Walter White buys too. See, so just more tie into <laughs> to that. Uh, Rick's interview I found very funny. The actor I think is like Riz Ahmed or something like that. Um, do, mm-hmm. do you know him from anything else? I, I do not. I don't uh, immediately recognize him. I don't know if he's been a character actor for a while, but no, I don't. Off the top of my head, no, I don't uh, recognize him. I'm pulling him up on the IMDb yeah. here, and okay, uh, no, the the stuff he's been in, um, it looks like more independent films. Um, okay, yeah, he did a really good job. You know, he he plays kind of a, a mousy kind of character. I I don't know if he was fresh out of high school. He does mention that he at least has graduated from high school, uh, pro- probably mid twenties. You would think. Yeah, the actor himself is uh, thirty-two, so yeah, okay. he's probably playing so, probably playing a twenty-something now. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I, is he homeless? I forget if he mentions that he's kind of in between houses or something, or doesn't. Yeah, he, he, and he, he he basically doesn't have anything. You know, and and that's why he does uh, have this uh, interview with Lou, and um, you know he gets hired on as an intern, which he was expecting to get some kind of money because uh, I'm sure I'm sure Lou left that out in 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 the ad uh, that he posted, which I, I would like to see actually to to see what he how he words it. Um, but yeah, he leads this kid on to believe that uh, he has a very successful news gathering business, um, but yeah, gets him to come on just because. He has uh, knowledge of the L.A. area um, and that he has a phone with GPS. That's, that's basically the criteria Lou needed in, in an intern. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess that's pretty much it. But I just like the way uh, the, this guy, Rick, the, I like the way he's portrayed by, by the actor. Yeah, and going back to the uh, the pawn shop scene where Lou is trying to sell the bicycle, you know, Rick is like most of us in that he uh, he kind of wears his emotions like all over his face. And so when he uh, is put into a corner like and kind of questioned by Lou, he you can tell obviously what makes him uncomfortable and he gets really kind of awkward in his, his answers. Yeah. Um, whereas Lou doesn't even seem to acknowledge it because Lou himself doesn't have much here. Lou's completely lying. He doesn't have a successful video business. It's just, it's just him. So if, 
if this guy was a little bit more uh, savvy or maybe not as desperate for a job, he would be like, what, who is this this idiot who's like, all you need is uh, GPS and grow up in Los Angeles and that gets me the job. Like that should immediately put a, a regular person on the defensive. Like, what is this job? Because it's never fully really, it's never really answered. It's like, oh, you're just going to work nights and basically drive around. And um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's just that's the difference between that showing how much of a kind of a sociopath Lou is compared to the average person is that the, those things don't even bother him. Like he doesn't seem to be bothered by how strange he comes across. He thinks he's come across as very professional and very slick. But, you know, you or I would be wondering, like, this job sounds shady as hell. Like, I'm not right. <laughs> not getting into this. Especially since there's no pay, you know. But uh, yeah, Luke does a very. I I, I even like it that uh, Lou goes. You know, sell your sell yourself to me. You know, he he because he, he, this, this is the first kid that probably even responded to the ad. So he's really kind of pushing, right. kind of like maybe I don't have enough time. That I need to hire somebody quick. So sell yourself. And I don't think he does a really good job. But I think it's really funny. You know, um, mm. I, I wish I had written. Do you remember any of the things he says as, as to like why he should be hired? No, I just I know that you know none of them are necessarily that great of traits as far as like he doesn't have particular skills. But in his defense, Lou's not telling him exactly what he's supposed to be doing either, so he really doesn't right. know how to sell himself because he doesn't know what the job is. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that kind of shows how Rick is desperate too for a job that he responded to anything. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I really wish I could see that that ad that, that Lou put it. Well, and where he even mm-hmm. posted it, I wonder if it was just like a piece of a paper taped to like a the you know phone poles outside, and Rick just happens to be walking by. He's like, huh? You know, kind of like how uh, in Dumb and Dumber, where there's like um, uh, be here in the stall at a certain time. Maybe it was something like that. Like, <laughs> meet meet me in the restaurant at this time. Show up and you'll get the job. <laughs> um, I do like the the first murder scene that they go to because uh, um, I think uh, Lou tells Rick to go ahead and park the car somewhere a little bit more uh, appropriate. I think is the word that he used because he he just parked behind like one of the police uh, squadrons, and so there's there's this murder scene, and then um, Lou's got the camera on, and he goes up to the first guy he sees that's just standing there spectating, and and he's like, "Hey, what's going on here?" And the guy looks at him with this look, and he's just like, "Who the f are you?" You know, and I was just like, "Oh, that is so real." Because yeah, most people would be like, "What are you doing?" Because your camera does not look legit. You know, you don't seem to have any credentials hanging from your neck. You know, and Lou just kind of like do do do, just decide. You know, sidewalk. Uh, he goes to this other lady standing there, and he goes, "Oh, you know, um, I think he, he refers to himself as like you know the the." Um, TV news or whatever to kind of get her to start talking and she kind of tells him what's going on but then she swears and then he goes oh can you do it again and and, and try not to curse and she goes I'm not going to effing do it again or whatever and so I, I just thought that was really real because like I don't know maybe a um, I don't want to say an amateur writer but somebody who maybe isn't really into details they would just kind of have those type of characters like well if they're being introduced we're going to have them say something with a little bit more substance but i just like that the first guy is just like who the f are you and that's all you needed you know you didn't have to have the first person that lou encounters actually tell you everything that's going on i don't know if you had any thoughts on that at all it- yeah we're we're so used to even with a side character who just has one scene for like 30 seconds as an audience to hearing expository dialogue like mm-hmm. we're, it's just like we've been trained that if our main character if our protagonist here goes up someone says what happened 
that whatever bystander he talks to is like, well, you know, this guy shot that guy and there was an argument over this, that. And it's mainly, it's not, as you said, it's not a real person and how they would really react. It's just a movie character telling the audience, here's what happened before our hero showed up. And now that we've got that out of the way, we can go into more interesting stuff. And the reason we're going to go out into more interesting stuff, and you know that, is because I'm a nobody actor and I'm a nobody character. So I'm just here to fill in the blanks. And now let's let Jake Gyllenhaal go on and have like a proper adventure. And yeah, you're absolutely right that we don't we don't get that here. It's more character building in the sense that we don't get any worthwhile information. We just get to see Lou grow into this to where. Uh, he's still unsure of himself, but he's he's not going to be dissuaded by anybody. Anybody cursing at him, as you said, he just I'm just going to move on to the next. Well, eventually I'll I'll get it. Eventually I'll hunt down the details. But yeah, you're absolutely right. They they went for authenticity here, and and the authenticity adds to the entertainment value of it because it is unexpected mm-hmm. that Jake Gyllenhaal is just going to be cursed at. You know, that's <laughs> it's funny that happens that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there was a point where. Um... For the second time, we see him watering his plant, um, and his, he's got this plant over by the TV, and he's he's always watching the news. Um, I don't know if you got this, but I thought it might be a kind of a symbolism, you know, of his career growing. You know, that the the second time we um, see him watering his plant, you know, he, he, he he's getting a little bit more successful at what he's doing, and, you know, his plant's obviously growing. I don't know if maybe I read too much into that, or, you know, it sounds right. No, I, I didn't. I didn't read that. I mean, it's yeah. That that's probably exactly right. I I think I I looked at it more like just uh, when he sets his mind to something, as strange as as it is, like because I, I I would have a picture of the person doing this and what we see later in the film, all the horrific things and staging of crime scenes that Lou does. Uh, he just wouldn't strike me as a guy that you know takes care of a plant at home, like that. He wouldn't care about that stuff. But it just you know. It, to me, it just showed that anything he sets his mind to, he's very uh, vigilant in like seeing it through. So it's like, yes, he you know he takes care of his plants, he does his editing in the mornings, you know that that sort of thing. It's all it's all the same to him. Whether it's doing yeah. something that your kindly grandmother would do or that this vile sociopath would do, it's all the same to Lou. He doesn't make any sort of judgment. Yeah, he he's a self taught guy too. So maybe he read online that he needs to water the plant. Um, uh, yeah, the the mayhem uh, car accident. Now mayhem is the um, Joe Joe Loader, who's Bill Paxson. That's that's his um, uh, film business or video um, gathering business. Uh, there's a point where there was a car accident, which was them. Uh, I, I found that to be a little odd and kind of coincidental, but it really did not take anything away from the movie. But I liked how Rick and Joe, uh, Rick and Rick and Lou, they uh, arrived to the scene, and apparently the Mayhem van it it went head on to like a it hit a telephone pole, right, or something. Mm-hmm. And then um, yeah. Rick questions, how did it hit head on to the pole? <laughs> And then, like, there's a slight hesitation by Lou's character, and then, like, he grabs his camera and just starts heading over, and Rick's like, no, don't, you know, that's, he's one of us. And so, I was trying to figure out what was the more motivating factor for, for Lou to go film this. Was it because previously in the uh, in the movie, Joe had approached him and wanted him to kind of get on, you know, his crew, which um, um, Lou had declined? I don't know if it was that because there was a little bit of confrontation between them two, or was was it the uh, the question that Rick had just kind of like how did it even hit head on? Like was that the more I don't know the, the question of that? It's like yeah, what did happen? I don't know if it was something that Lou was just like um, 
I don't know. What, what, what were your thoughts on that? I, I guess that's just more my question, really. I didn't really have any input. Well, uh, Lou, I mean, he monkeys with the van, like, just briefly. We don't really know what he does. Uh, but, you know, we see him uh, underneath of it. He goes on, over to the wherever uh, this Joe Loader lives and is underneath the van doing something and then walks off. So, um, I mean, I think the film is saying, yeah, he's to blame for this this accident. Maybe not entirely because – Clearly, in their business, they they speed. They go. They're trying to get beat the competition, trying to get there before the cops. All of that, but whatever he did, um, you know, in combination with them driving at a high rate of speed, is probably the reason they ran you know into a telephone pole. Um, but as far as him filming Bill Paxton's character, you know, I what I found to be darker about that scene was, you know, we're supposed to read into it that it was some sort of revenge. But I don't think Lou takes any sort of pleasure in it at all. Like, I don't think it matters to him. I think for him, it was just being practical. This guy, with his expansion and going out and having two vans and me turning him down, like, that's going to be a problem for me. He'd already beaten him to this uh, airplane crash, and Mm -hmm. he was sort of getting grief at work from Nina about that, about not getting there in time. So I think it was just like, uh, this is just better for my growth and my business if I don't have to compete with this guy, if I take care of it. So when he films them, I think it's over for him. I don't think he feels one way or the other about it. It's just like, oh, this is I've got to get this footage because I'm here and this is something I can sell. And I think, you know, quote unquote, a normal person would take some measure of satisfaction or have some guilt about enacting this revenge. And he feels nothing. You know, you mentioned earlier he has that face where you expect a smirk, and it is right. blank. And I, I, I think I find that scarier that he doesn't feel one mm-hmm. way or the other about it. Yeah, throughout this movie, I was like, man, Jake Gyllenhaal would have been like a perfect Norman Bates, you know, in the uh, the Psycho remake. <laughs> yeah. Though he would have yeah. been extremely young mm-hmm. at that time. But like the, I, um, mm-hmm. one of the scenes you had mentioned earlier when his hair was in his face, it did it kind of made me think like, oh, that's what he looked like if he had long hair, <laughs> you know, like a wig, mm-hmm. you know, with hair yeah. on both sides of his face. So we kind of get to see that. And man, yeah, he could have been a really good Norman Bates. Um, now the uh, let me see the the murder scene uh, that that he kind of gets to. Um, this is where you know there's a shootout. It's a, a you know a very nice neighborhood where this family was killed uh, inside, and he gets there before the police. Um, I really like the scene where he does uh, sell the tape to Rene Russo, and we get to see behind the scenes of how um, you know the the news is kind of kind of made. You know where uh, Rene Russo. Renee Russo's character, she is kind of um, feeding the news anchors, you know, a few things to say, you know, telling them to emphasize on a certain statement, um, um, certain mm-hmm. things to repeat, you know, hey, this is very grisly, gruesome, things like that. So I, I really enjoyed seeing the behind the scenes. I don't know uh, what you thought about that scene. Well, I think it's that was as pointed as the film gets as far as turning the. Uh the camera around onto the audience because everyone I think within reason has some access to local news in their life and probably has griped about it. Like, man, they just show, you know, I, I know here, even in Lexington, Kentucky, we, I am fairly certain we don't have night crawlers cause I don't think that much stuff happens like here yeah. for them to get paid. But even here, you know, they push every, small petty crime like a gas station robbery 
or uh, any a car wreck, any sort of car wreck. And it's like, you know, and I, I've got uh, a tangible Teddy who comes on our show. He actually works for one of the, the local news stations. And, you know, I've had conversations with him and griped about it. It's like, man, why does your station show me car wrecks all the time? Like, because car wrecks are not news. Like, you know, it's not unless you're giving some sort of traffic report, like, hey, it's like the shut down the interstate or this, that or the other. But just showing like two people in a crash that happened, you know, at 2 a.m., why why do I need to see it? Like, it's just basically it's just, you know, scary footage. It's just like, oh, my God, right. I don't want that to happen to me. And so the home invasion here, what we see with with her directing them to push the fear is a direct uh, reflection of Lou. I mean, he's doing the same thing to her when he's trying to up his price saying like, you know how often you can use this footage? You could run it for a month and people are going to be scared and they're going to want updates and you can keep reusing this footage, you know, keeping them scared. So that I think to me was, that was a point in the film where they're saying, Hey, you out there and you know, watching this movie, you've probably questioned your local news a little more. Like how often are they trying to manipulate your anxieties? And are you comfortable with that? And so I think that that was as preachy as the film gets. And it's still done in a very entertaining fashion. I never felt like I was being lectured. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's that's that that applies to my real life. Not a lot of this film applies to me. I'm, <laughs> I have no experience <laughs> with like people like Lou or doing anything like Lou. But that everyone has probably seen the local news and had those kind of thoughts in the back of their mind. Yeah. Um, the the next scene that I really enjoyed was when uh you know, Rick has the uh, the change in attitude after giving a raise, you know, and I I think this was one of the funny scenes for me, too, where uh, he does kind of convince um, Lou to give him a raise. And he's like, OK, well, you know, name your price. And he and, and he's he kind of um, like stutters, you know, a, a few. He's like 75 a night. So I thought that was a really good scene, too. But you do he sees you do see him get a little greedy, too, because now they're kind of staking out the the shooters from from the crime scene. And Rick asks him, you know, if there was a reward for these guys. And I think it was like 50,000 right for these guys. Yeah. And basically, Rick, he he wants half. You know, and then like his whole attitude changes, and then, and then uh, even Lou agrees to it. Okay, you know, I'll give you half, and then so so now you see Rick's uh, uh, posture. He kind of relaxes a little bit, kind of sits back and sees. Well, man, that's that's all I wanted. You know, if you just, you know, if you just listen to me, and mm-hmm. you know, you're you have a weird look on things, and and so yeah, he starts to talk to Lou in a certain way, and uh, I just kind of like this because now Rick has a bit of an arc for him now because his character kind of changes a little bit. Not really, but um, I don't know. I just, uh, just I really like long that enough to to change, and uh, I mean that change is him signing his his death certificate, basically like that. Right. <laughs> like he doesn't realize it, but it's you know as I said, you've you've backed this coyote into a corner here, and now he's going to attack you because you're in his way from going out and you know achieving what Lou wants to achieve here, and. Lou even says earlier in the film, like, you know, you, I think it's when they're actually running away from the home invasion. Like you should have done this or this, like make yourself valuable to me. Like, you know, you should always, uh, learn new skill. That way, uh, you're, you're somebody I can't lose from this business. And when he demands half, uh, that's when it becomes, you know, more beneficial financially and professionally for Lou to lose this guy. Because if he's demanding half now, I mean, Rick has a ton of stuff on Lou, 
And especially when the police become involved and they start to question Lou and they have suspicions that he had more footage than what he let on that could have apprehended these people before the, the shootout with the cops. You can't have someone like Rick who's always like wanting more like around, especially if he's starting to get comfortable asking for more. And that's, you know, that's what's sad is, is Rick's a very likable character because he's so mm. naive and innocent. But as soon as he starts to get a little more cynical and he starts to realize, like, hey, I, I deserve some money, too. I'm going to reach into your pocket now. Like, Lou is reaching into Nina's pocket. That's when, right. he, you know, you know he's going to be killed off. You know something bad's going to happen to him. Yeah, and let's go ahead and get into probably the biggest scene in, in the movie, which is the the restaurant scene where uh, uh, Lou does tail the guy, the shooters uh, from the, the previous crime. And uh, so he he pulls over across the street and he calls nine one one and says that you know he has the description of the um, uh, the people that they're looking for, and and then slowly, uh, you know, Rick is is uh, told to go stand at a different um, position, you know, to get a different angle of what's going on, and they're going to film this entire scene of like you know a couple police squadrons pulling up and the police going inside, and it is so tense because you you don't know what's going to happen, and not only that. I feel this is where it's even more effective that the director even chooses to not show us anything inside the restaurant, um, which I don't know if you caught that. But, yeah, everything is from outside. So we're almost uh, totally uh, from this. their point of view. Exactly. And I just I think that was even more tense because we are in their shoes because we don't know what's going on. And I felt if they kept on cutting back and forth from inside, it would have just kind of made it a little not really cliche. I mean, because that's just that's that's how most films are. It's like, yeah, you kind of go back and forth. But we don't know anything about these guys. And I, I don't think we really cared to uh, cared to. You know, these bad guys, No, um, they're not given <laughs> names or anything. So it, it doesn't matter. So I'm glad that they didn't show us anything inside, even those police officers. Um, so I just thought that was very tense. So what are your thoughts on that scene? It's extremely well done, uh, as you said, to heighten the, the tension. Um, I like that. We're, I guess we're more in you know, Rick's shoes as far as like what we don't know exactly what or what Lou wants to happen. And I don't know if Lou, I'm not even going to give this character so much credit to where he knows exactly like if I do this or if I place a phone call here, like these guys, like he couldn't have known that it would have ended in that sort of shootout, but it was also a chance that would happen too. And that that's what makes his character um, definitely on the, the more evil side. Uh, I guess when it comes to morality is that to him, it's, it doesn't matter or it's worth the risk that cops could get shot <clears throat> as opposed to saying there are some dangerous individuals. I followed them from this house. You know, he had information where, <clears throat> excuse me, where the cops could have followed these individuals back to their home and probably taken them down in a much, you know, less public place where civilians could get hurt too. But Lou doesn't consider that cause that wouldn't be good footage. And plus it, you know, it makes him, it puts him in a dangerous position. Like, how do you know that as far as calling an anonymous tip? Um, so I, th- I think it's, it's interesting. Cause you said, you know, like other movies, we would go sort of closer to the action, mm-hmm. but we're removed from the action. We're in loose shoes, but it feels, it feels more intense and it feels more dangerous because it's so morally questionable. Like what we're watching, this is not an action sequence where we're supposed to enjoy like the cops and the you know, the the criminals here shooting it out. Like it's 
it's supposed to feel like it would really happen across the street and you're supposed to be horrified by it. You know, there's not supposed to be like a Michael Mann heat sort of chase sequence or anything. So I, I think it's, it's directed extremely well, but it's also probably really the only way to do it. I think if you had done, done it the other way, it would have made it feel false, especially compared to the style of the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. No, that's a very good point. Um, what are your, um, well, I guess before we get into that, uh, the, the movie ends with, um, you know, we, we see that Lou's uh, business does get so successful that he has a second vehicle. And now, uh, you know, with mm-hmm. the death of Rick, um, he has three new interns. So he's going to start them mm-hmm. from the bottom as well. Uh, and and it, it ends with the, the, the shot of the two vans going in separate directions. And I thought that was a really beautiful shot, too. But this is why I am recommending the movie, you know, it, it's, it's because... We know what's going to happen next. They're obviously going to go, you know, track down um, some more stuff. It's just like I want to see this adventure now, you know. Um, I want to see Lou and his crew, and then I can totally see this, you know, maybe at least a miniseries, ten, thirteen part miniseries of of, of this. I I just really enjoyed it that much. You, um, so some of the insights that you have brought does make me want to watch this again, and it, I think that's how entertaining this movie is. I do want to keep watching it, although it's not a happy movie whatsoever. Uh, I, mm. I I would watch this more than I would American Sniper, you know? And, and again, not to take anything <laughs> away from that. I just, I don't want to sound like I hate the movie, especially if anyone's heard me on, on your podcast talking about mm. the movie. It just It almost sounds like, you know, I'm, you know, pooping on it a, a lot, but I'm, I'm not. It's a, uh, American <laughs> Sniper's a great movie, but I, I thought this was just, for me, more entertaining and uh, should have been worthy uh, of some, some bigger... Uh, um, Oscar wins, uh, but uh, what of the few monologues that Jake Gyllenhaal has? The restaurant scene uh, in in the beginning where he's trying to uh, sell himself to to get hired. Um, what else? There, there's oh yeah, and then the one in the newsroom when he is uh, negotiating with Nina. Uh, you know, we're saying he wanted fifteen thousand for for this footage. Uh, which of those three, and if there's any uh, any other that I missed, which, which of those uh, was your favorite? Or um... I, I, I think I my favorite this is gonna be really a, good. Uh, I think my favorite is probably just the. It's gonna be a boring answer because it's the. It's just the first one we get. It's the one where he's mm-hmm. trying to sell like this copper wire and chain link fence and stuff to the guy who will have none of it, and it's the one that sticks out for me because. He doesn't really change his mannerisms or his the way he speaks to people, the way he delivers his ideas because they're he's an extremely eloquent speaker and is not I mean he speaks above what a common criminal you would think would be able to to speak. I like that that's the I guess that's the time where he just gets flat out rejected and as we see him, you know, find himself in a business where that's more acceptable um, I think each of those monologues, they don't stick out for me as much as that first one, just, just because of the guy he's talking to. When he's talking to Nina, there's sort of a back and forth, but I, I, I'm just going to go with the very first one because that guy just will not engage with him whatsoever. And I just think that it, it lets Jake Gyllenhaal perform more because he's basically performing against the wall. I mean, that guy, as you said, he's doing paperwork and just sort of not even looking at him like... So that that would probably be my favorite, and it's it's a boring answer because it's the very first one, but that that's the one that sticks out. Yeah, it's 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 even the one used in the trailer, um, I, if I remember correctly. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I like the restaurant one be, because of like he is really talking. Uh, 
I, I guess, so to speak, he's talking down to Nina. You know, it's kind of shaming her into mm-hmm. uh, this relationship with him. But I, I really like the scene where he is negotiating with her, um, you know, for, you know, 15000 and that back and forth. But there's that point where he's he's got that, you know, monologue. And, and he, uh, he every point that he makes, he starts taking a step forward closer to her. Twelve. Fifteen. I can't spend a month's budget on a single story. What if the story's not over? The people who did this escaped. They're still out there, walking around with the rest of us. If I had a family and I lived in a home, that might make me nervous. I'd want updates on what was going on. With this footage, people would turn to your channel for the story. Now, I like you, Nina. And I look forward to our time together. But you have to understand, 15,000 isn't all that I want. From here on, starting now, I want my work to be credited by the anchors and on a burn. The name of my company is Video Production News, a professional news gathering service. That's how it should be read and that's how it should be said. I also want to go to the next rung and meet your team and the station manager and the director and the anchors and start developing my own personal relationships. I'd like to start meeting them this morning. You'll take me around, you'll introduce me as the owner and president of Video Production News and remind them of some of my many other stories. I'm not done. I also want to stop our discussion over prices. This will save time. So when I say that a particular number is my lowest price, that's my lowest price. And you can be assured that I arrived at whatever that number is very carefully. Now, when I say that I want these things, I mean that I want them. And I don't want to have to ask again. Yeah, I don't know. I Mm -hmm. I thought that physical element of it was very effective. And I don't know that that this kind of worked for me a little bit more. They're they're all really good. Don't get me wrong. But... um, you know, I'm just trying to have us kind of pick pick a favorite. Uh, did you have any other other that's points a, that you wanted to bring up? Well, that's uh, you know, when me and Chris Maynard on uh, our podcast were talking about switching the genders, that's I think I think we're used to seeing sort of misogynistic characters uh, mm-hmm. taking advantage of women, especially uh, with Lou and Nina. They're he's taking advantage of her in a sexual way, not just you know professionally, and that's where. I think it's to make his character seem uh, more despicable because if it was just him negotiating prices, I wouldn't think that really he's any worse than Nina as far as they're both in the same business of selling blood and guts, you know, and tragedy to people. So I think they had to add that extra element, but me and Maynard were talking about it and I would, I would love to see a version of this where it was like, you know, Anna Kendrick playing that part and Jake Gyllenhaal is the, news director being basically taken advantage of. Cause I, can you think of a movie where we've seen like a, a woman sort of dress down a man like that and sort of make those sort of demands? Cause I, I, I don't, it's very rare. I think in movies, it is rare. Nothing comes to mind at the moment. Uh, I would definitely have to really think that through. Um, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, basic instinct. No, <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, yeah, I don't, the, you get into stuff like that, I guess, where the yeah the Sharon Stone character is, I guess, the one that's totally in control. Yeah. But um, you know, even there, they sort of you know they make her like an ice pick wielding sort of maniac. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just this is like something Nightcrawler. You know, you're talking about extending it to like a television series, which I I think it would be a great idea for a TV show. Like this is. You know, I, I thought of you thought of Breaking Bad. I thought of the Shield, I guess more, and I think it was more because like you know, it's set in L.A. It's got that kind of uh, gritty look to it. Um, but that's this is 
would be a great premise for a show because it shows a job, so you can always have new plot lines going on, and it's a job most people are not familiar with. So yeah, there's always going to be something interesting going forth, yeah. like Walter White and uh, Cooking the Mess. But I I saw this and I thought, man, this would be cool to if you if they ever did a remake of this, I I was wanting them to flip the genders because I would love yeah. to see. Like and I guess I was just thinking end of watch with Anna Kendrick and Jake Gyllenhaal together, but I was just like I would love to see someone like that who plays someone kind of bubbly and sweet play such a sociopath. I think it would be very cool, very interesting. Yeah, I mean we could make this into a TV show ourselves, and then have a spinoff with Anna Kendrick. You know where she started off as an sure. intern and she gets successful and kind of starts growing. <laughs> yeah, so that'd be a really yeah. Cool we thing. we have that type of power, Peter. Yes, yeah, from yes. Hydrate well, Level Four Studios. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, in, in conjunction with uh, War Machine vs. War Horse uh, Productions, you know, it, we've we've made many mm-hmm. movies, um, e- even the uh, uh, Bruce McGill Home Invasion. So we made some movies there. See, um, you could tie that into this. You could have him be the Home, the home invasion. invasion. Exactly, that'd be a good one. <laughs> and if Shane's listening to this, he needs to get on the writing. So yeah, anybody that follows both of our shows will know what we're talking about. Uh, we didn't get any uh, yeah. listener uh, emails, unfortunately. Um, I, I don't know. It was just lack of time. But um, I think that's another reason I really wanted to do this podcast to recommend the movie because I, I, I think it was, um, you know, for last year being such a big year in movies, there were so many huge movies last year. And I just felt this one just kind of fell under the cracks a little bit. Uh, kind of reminded me of 1997 when Titanic came out. You know, there was also Contact, which I didn't see for like a few years after that. I was like, oh, my God, how do I – how do I not remember this movie? And it came out the same year Titanic did. So I felt this is kind of one of those gems, you know, that that people were like, oh, American Sniper, Birdman, all these things, and and Nightcrawler just w- wasn't in the mix, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, we didn't get any listener email. But at this point, I'll go ahead and play the interview that I had with Jackson K and Asher Grow. Tonight, I'm joined by, yeah, what's your name? Uh, Asher Grow. I'm Jackson K. Okay, and you guys uh, write for a school newspaper? Yeah, we, uh, we go to school at Reed College. And we write for the Reed College Quest. Okay, awesome. So it's funny because uh, after the movie, I heard you guys kind of talking about writing uh, your guys' thoughts. And um, it, you know, usually, it, it was kind of obvious, obviously, uh, that you guys, well, I, I thought you guys also might be podcasters, uh, as, as I am. Um, but yeah, I, I got to ask you a question and you guys write for the school. So that's a, a pretty awesome thing. Uh, and I've never done this before where I've actually, uh, interviewed, um, strangers, but what, um, what was your guys' overall thoughts of the movie? Well, I think it was a very interesting comment on, uh, on the path to success and what we consider the American dream. I think it raised a lot of very interesting questions about capitalism and, uh, the extent one is willing to, to push themselves to achieve what they want and also whether uh, what we want is really worth it. I think um, it made some very interesting comments about um, communication specifically between the media and, and those who consume it and also... Um, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, you know, I really think that it was incredible, like, the way that it portrayed Lou's success is because Lou, the, uh, the protagonist, is a sociopath, right? So we have to take human empathy out of the equation, and when success doesn't require human empathy, then what is it yeah. saying about us? Yeah. Uh, we were just talking about how the movie could be talking about 
how it's portraying itself to the audience. You know, like, the movie is giving us this cold and heartless character in a movie filled with violence, and yet we're gobbling it up. We love it, you know? Right. I mean, I think we all liked it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I, I, I truly agree. Um, what I'm probably going to do is stick your guys' interview at the end, um, because I'll probably do a solo, like, a rundown of the movie, and totally, then I'll yeah. get into spoilers at the totally, end. Yeah. But um, what are some of your guys' like, favorite scenes or something that you wanted to bring up? Um, I really like the scene... When uh, the guy who the the male worker at the uh, news station is telling he's telling the the female news editor um, that what they what she's trying to do is distort the truth the the reality of the story. This whereas, is at the end. Yeah, towards yeah. the end. Right. And uh, her argument is that she's just trying to uh, she's trying to present not the truth but what will sell and what will get them more um, more views. And I think it's a really interesting comment on the power that the media has and how easy it is to manipulate and uh, and distort reality yeah. through, through the tool of the media. It's a bit of social commentary yeah, on totally. uh, yeah things that they kind of keep keep out of the public um, just to kind of uh, bring in viewers and no, things like totally. that. Yeah, I mean, then that was the whole thing, you know, to the movie, you know, his path to, I mean, you know, since we're getting into spoilers here, you know, yeah, his sure. path at the end of the movie what you know it totally veered away from the first time he dragged that body from the car crash in the beginning uh he he went away from reporting to actually manipulating so that he could sell it more you know at the mm-hmm. end when he talks about he says something like you know uh, i'm not doing it to better himself he's doing it so that he can increase his negotiation tactics and it's like everything to him is about negotiation you know yeah which is, is it's, it's incredible he's you know what he reminded me of i just remembered is uh, i don't know if you've seen magnolia but tom cruise in oh, magnolia okay well tom cruise plays this like self-help guy but he's so sleazy and so fake and he's all about manipulation and it's like this character was like that but even without any human empathy like even tom cruise had like a a heart at the center of his character but this guy was just so far he was a sociopath you know he was removed from empathy you know yeah um there was a there was something that um Lou's character kept on doing and I don't know if you guys had any thoughts of this but it seemed like anytime he was about to kind of do something bad for example like the first time he stole the bike uh, off the beach or or his first uh, chase down uh, after um, uh, acquiring like a video camera he he tied his hair back you caught that do you have any thoughts on what do you think that might be well I suppose it's uh, symbolism I guess like um I don't know what yeah. I could say immediately. Uh, I just I just thought it was a nice touch, yeah, but I, I wonder wonder if it meant anything. I'd say well, it's uh, I mean he exhibited like a lot of traits of sociopathic characters. I, like it reminded me a lot of uh, American Psycho, okay. and also the book The Stranger. If you've ever read it, like I feel like the character presented was not necessarily a specific person, but rather a satire of of a person. To, of yeah. like a comment on on the modern person and how susceptible they can be or we can be rather to to um, things that are emphasized by society as uh, correct choices to make. Like we are constantly pushed towards the direction of success. Yeah. But this movie, I think, raises the question of uh, whether or not it's correct or ethical to follow this path that's been. Uh, created this idea of a, of a career yeah. or a, a set path to go down. Yeah, you know, just like his assistant at the end, like, we may have an out right now, 
but that means we have to give up the money, you know? Mm. Like, that was a really cool scene in which his partner was given, he was given an out, you know? We knew things would end up bad for him, you know? Yeah. And he was, he, he knew what the right thing to do was, but he was coerced into it with money and with power, you know? And, uh, yeah, and when you have a character like, uh, like Leo, uh, I mean, like Lou, and he's just so, he's like the like the physical manifestation of an infomercial like a murderous infomercial yeah, you yeah. know he's so yeah like you said it's like a satire like the things he says are so absurdly like crisp and commercial and blend, commercialized yeah. and like universal you know yeah he's all about the business yeah, yeah exactly tying in, with, business. tying in with that I, I liked how consistently there was a lot of not even imagery it was just sonically there were like these sounds of commercials going on always yeah. or like mm. Or, like, a lot of shots of billboards and stores in there. Actually, it's funny. When we were biking over here, Asher said, uh, I can see the capitalist lights, and there were yeah. these big shining lights. Yeah, uh, coming out of the dark neighborhood right over there, you know. We yeah, just saw, a like... Of, a lot of big businesses. Yeah, brand um, names. Okay, uh, uh, a thing that we do on the show is we give a five-star rating. What would you guys rate this movie? I would say I would give it a solid four. I think it raised a lot of interesting questions, and... Uh, it was a, a really valuable movie to help us think about um, like society today, but um, it wasn't necessarily like something I extremely like enjoyed watching. It's not something I'd want to like Revisit watch often. watch on a like a lazy Saturday night or something, yeah. you know. Like, it, but it certainly is important. I think it's an important piece of art, and I really have a lot of respect for it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I really agree. Like, I think that uh, I the kind of movie it is it's not exactly a very likable movie you know it doesn't yeah. it's it's entertaining as hell but i don't think it's trying to get you to love it and i totally accept that i thought it was beautiful by the way like we didn't talk about it yet yeah. but it was just unbelievably good looking yeah. movie yeah. it was like i've never i haven't seen a city look that good like you know la look that good yeah it really made me want to visit la actually yeah. i was really, thinking about really. that where, where are you from anyway you, you have a bit of an i'm accent. from london okay yeah yeah um, see, uh, the, I, I like how you brought that up as far as the visuals go in the movie because uh, it, it, it looks pretty timeless, actually. You know, aside yeah. from the car that Lou yeah. drives, I couldn't tell what era it's actually yeah, from. Yeah, me too. They were using, like, outdated cameras and, uh, like, the commercials seem to be not really modern or current or the ones displayed although, in the movie. Although the, the role to which the internet played in it made it a very modern yeah, film. Like, yeah. All, yeah. he constantly mentioned the internet and constantly... Like the plot was advanced by the internet, and I think they that's talked about really Twitter too. Exactly, I think oh, that's right, a huge, right. huge like comment on how we perceive information in the in the like the internet age. You know, mm -hmm. I think that that's a huge part of the movie. You know, because yeah, maybe this sensationalistic media and this like search for what drives ratings didn't happen as much before it was so easy for someone to get a clip, you know, and put it on YouTube or yeah, you know, get it to the radio. The yeah, I think it's TV actually stations. a very interesting comment on. Uh, on journalism and media in this age. It's funny because uh, my mother is a journalist herself and um, in, with the advent of modern technology like phones and computers and emails, um, journalism has become such a more demanding career than it used to be. Like There have been times where my mother has woken me up at four in the morning and said, hey, I've got to fly to Texas right now. I have to be there to uh, catch this story as it breaks. So I think that was a, a very interesting and somewhat truthful depiction of, of the reality of, of that business today. Wow. Um, now, was I alone? Or the, the scene where Lou goes into that uh, triple homicide, 
I, I thought that uh, after, you know, the CSI people get in there, that they would find his prints, and they would think that it was him maybe that murdered the family. And did, Was I alone in that? I, I had the suspicion. I feel like that mess, regardless of whether that was a factor that played into to what happened or not, I don't think that fact in itself was, like, crucial to the narrative, like, the story they were trying to tell, you know? And I think in that sense, like, that's where you see it as a movie, you know? Like something like that in real life probably would uh, would not fly under the radar but I mean like it's there's like Ash said there's like a sense of sensationalism yeah, yeah I really liked that uh, I also had that thought you know mm-hmm. I was like I, that's where I thought the movie was going to go you know I right. thought that he was either going to start yeah. killing people or yeah. that you know like the cops would find him and he would somehow become a pure an antagonist but like I loved that I had no idea where the movie went and like it ended with him as like you know, to us, he's a sociopath or whatever, but he was not punished for his actions, you right. know? The movie, he was, it's almost like Wolf of Wall Street if you saw that movie, you know? I own it, I haven't watched it yet. The, the movie yeah. didn't punish the character. The character's this awful dude, yeah. and the movie didn't punish him, so I mean, like, I thought that was kind of cool. I thought that was really neat that how yeah, the movie did it. Did anybody else get a little uh, Kaiser Soze moment at the end? A little what, sorry? Kaiser Sose, um, Usual Suspect. You ever watch that? Uh-uh. No, you? Yeah, I've seen it in passing. Like but... just, just at the end where uh, Kevin Spacey kind of leaves the police station. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. It's a, And so... just the, the style and the smooth, you know, like, he's so smug. He's so smug, just like right. and Kevin Spacey pulls that off, too. Yeah, he... he the uh, style is so Kevin fresh, Kevin Spacey too, walks like, out, and then, and then you, you even, like, watch his feet, you know, where yeah. he, he's limping and then walks, you know, uh, kind of transitions into an actual... Uh, walk. Walk, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, uh, Lou isn't limping, obviously, but right. they focus on his feet. No, and, totally, yeah. yeah. And that's all I thought was the usual suspect Definitely, at the end. Definitely, no, yeah. totally, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't have anything else. I do appreciate, yeah, uh, you know, your guys' time. Yeah, of course. Um, so we'll, we'll just go ahead and end it there. Okay, so uh, hopefully, uh, though, uh, Jackson and Asher, hopefully you guys aren't upset for the delayed uh, release of this episode, but, but I still did it. Um uh, but, uh, Michael, where can listeners hear your show and get a hold of you on the uh, social media? You can find War Machine vs. Warhorse on iTunes or Stitcher. You can also go to uh, warmachinehorse.com, uh, followingfilms.com, which is my co-host uh, Chris Maynard's website. And we also have another podcast, uh, Following Films, where we put all of the interviews that we can't fit into our main show uh, on there, and that's uh, well worth a listen. He he talks to a lot of really interesting people, but you can find uh, us at War Machine Horse on Twitter, uh, Facebook.com slash War Machine Horse, and I believe Chris's handle on Twitter is at following underscore films. Uh, Twitter is probably the best way to get in touch with us. That's how me and uh, Peter uh, became friends and started talking yeah. about NBA basketball along with uh, Nightcrawler 2 plans. And and obviously the listeners can't see it right now, but you're wearing a Boston Celtics T-shirt, which is uh, which is your team, mm-hmm. and and I'm wearing a Portland Trailblazers T-shirt. So uh, we we definitely coordinated prior to that, just so you guys know. Um, it was a joke, yeah. but okay. <laughs> we usually do. <laughs> well, we usually do it. Uh, I think uh, the last time I. I was wearing a Psycho T-shirt because I was on one of your uh, pre- previous episodes for the Psycho remake. And uh, I know when you were on our American Sniper episode, you had uh, you, oh. you basically looked like you were ready to go to war. You were ready to. Yes. <laughs> I 
I, yeah, right, right. I was wearing my uniform, and that, that, that was just a show for you guys. I, I was just trying to get you guys to laugh, but yeah, I was wearing my my uniform on Skype. Um, which, I, yeah, yeah. I, I guess you're right. We we kind of do do that. Um, maybe mm-hmm. uh, subconsciously, purposely, if that's even a thing. Um, but yeah, for, for I me, definitely knew uh, I was uh, going to be skyping with a, an NBA fan from a Rip yes. City, so I'm like, I'm wearing my Celtics gear today. So yeah, it was definitely Very on good. purpose on my end. Yeah, uh, both of our teams are kind of struggling at this time, uh, unfortunately, uh, which is going to date this podcast, but oh well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, for, for Hydrate Level 4, obviously you can find us on Facebook, um, uh, iTunes, and Stitcher. Just type in Hydrate Level 4. Uh, we're on Instagram um, and Twitter at HLF Podcast, which, Mike, you guys are also on Instagram. Is that also at War Machine Horse? Yes. Yeah, pretty much everything social media related is uh, War Machine Horse. Is the, the okay. tag for it. Yeah, so definitely check that out. Uh, we're obviously uh, an independent podcast, uh, both you and I, and uh, uh, I, I'm just uh, would like to encourage the listeners to please uh, rate and review our show to kind of help us uh, get out there. We don't ask uh, one cent from from anybody. So um, that that's all I have now. Again, thank you, <laughs> Michael, <yet>. for. <laughs> well, wait until we start putting out those movies made by our production uh, company, then we'll start making money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd like to thank you again for uh, com- coming on the show. Uh, you know, yeah. come on anytime. Thanks for having we'll, me. We'll discuss movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, uh, I guess until the next episode, uh, this is Hydrate Level 4. I doubt myself more than you can know. But I'm also proud of myself that I can let show. Think about it. When you thrive it, they'll all be about it. And when you're struggling, ain't got nothing. One will be around you. A leader's not defeat. It's not one to stop competing. If he loses, if he loses, he's back. At it next season, believe it. Show the legend, believe you see potential. No second guessing, no else They won't believe you got a dream. Work from that. Drop and roll. Holy shit, the house on fire, holy tits, place going up in flames Gotta say it's probably gonna be on the news and I'm betting fucking front page There's your girl right there looking like a star up on the stage And watch her how she moves somebody quick, get her an agent, amazing face it Tonight she's riding with me, entertaining this, name the little miss, knock you dead with a kiss So brain painful, call immediate addiction to the chase She's naked, wild and no clothes on, like his island, the boys ball strong I'm paying costs, the boss gonna need a hit out of plus No baby gaga zoops, I got that kind of wrong Never matter, I'm that rapper throwing shockers, never Bothered the mantra, hey, this one or that one. I can't choose cause I'm plastic, so I'll take two with the napkin to clean it up once I've had it. I beat it up cause I'm about it. Getting rough and I'm rowdy. I hit them dip in the Saudi. I doubt myself, but don't doubt me. I doubt myself more than you can know, but I'm also prouder of myself than I can let show. Think about it when you're thriving, they'll all be about it. And when you're struggling, ain't got nothing, one will be around you. A leader's not defeat, it's not one to stop competing. If he loses, if he loses, he's back at it next season. Believe it's over legend, believe you see potential, no second guessing, no else they won't believe you got a dream worth remembering. Waiting all alone, waiting all alone, coming out swinging through the dough. And when is the right time, when is the right time I'm betting each second that it's now So sit down, cause you're not making hits, pal People jumping up on board, well, oh well You're not my dog, for real Even though you're chasing my tail 
I'm yanking your chain. No, it's just a joke. Cause I see no thing around your throat where it's supposed to hang. Hey, so I take the piss or what? It's not a test, but if it was, yeah, you get an F. You can kick rocks home. Why your chick drops don't? Got a sick barcode and a fifth patron. Ooh, and I mix it with a little bit of rhythm. Then I sprinkle on a little pinch of wrong. And damn, all these girls always feeling our vision. Losing themselves at the end of the song. I doubt myself more than you can know. But I'm also proud of myself that I can let show. Think about it when you're thriving. They'll all be about it. And when you're struggling, ain't got nothing. One will be around you. A leader's not defeatist. Not one to stop competing. If he loses, if he loses, he's back at it next season. Believe it's over legend. Believe you see potential. No second guessing. No else they won't believe you got a dream.